just a little bit here. Let's sing that song, Wonderful, Wonderful, Jesus is to me, Sankey. Oh, now wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me. Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God is He. He's saving me, keeping me from sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer, praise His name now wonderful wonderful jesus is to me he's counselor prince of peace mighty god is he he's saving me keeping me from all sin and shame wonderful is my redeemer praise his name and though my heart sings today Sings for joy and gladness. Jesus saves and satisfies, banishes my sadness. Guilt is gone, peace is mine, peace like to a river. Jesus is wonderful and mighty to deliver. Wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me. He's counselor, prince of peace. Mighty God is He. He's saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer, praise His name. And once a slave, now I'm free, free from condemnation. Jesus gives liberty and a full salvation. Now the sins of the past have been all forgiven and my name is inscribed on the book of heaven oh wonderful wonderful jesus is to me he's counselor prince of peace mighty god is he he's saving me keeping me from all sin and shame wonderful is my redeemer praise his now living here with my Lord in a holy union Day by day all the way holding sweet communion Oh a change grace hath wrought in my lowly station Since my soul has received full and free salvation Wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me Counselor, he's Prince of Peace, mighty God is he. He's saving me, keeping me from all 
sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer, praise His name. And wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me. Counselor, Prince of Peace, mighty God is He. He's saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer, praise His name. And victory is mine, yes, victory is mine. Victory today is mine. And I told Satan, just get thee behind. And victory today is mine. didn't have no doubt I knew that the Lord would bring me out so I got down on my knees and said Lord help me please and I got up shouting victory singing victory is mine yes victory is mine victory today is mine Oh, and I told Satan, just get thee behind, and victory today is mine, and love is mine, love is mine, now love today is mine, and I told Satan to get thee behind, and Love today is mine, and joy is mine, joy is mine, joy today is mine, and I told Satan to get thee behind, and joy today is mine, now victory is mine. And victory is mine, victory today is mine. And I told Satan, just you get thee behind, and victory today is mine. One more time. And victory is mine, and victory is mine, victory today is mine. Satan to get thee behind. Oh, victory today is mine. Amen. Let's just sing that song, uh, Jesus, We're Depending on You, in F, I think, as well. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, 
We're depending on you. We're depending on you to see us through. Now, Jesus, we're depending on you. Oh, Jesus, we're depending on you. Now, Jesus, we're depending on you. Depending on you to see us through. Now, Jesus, we're depending on you. We're depending on you and Jesus. We're depending on you. We're depending on you to see us through. Now we're depending on you to see us through. Amen. We'll go ahead and change the order now. Uh, We'll go ahead and go before the Lord with our needs and if you would play something softly there brother Matt and you may have your seats for just a moment we just want to remember brother Jeremy Clayville this evening he is at home sick I also have here that uh, sister Connie Hughes is not with us this evening so we just want to remember her uh, we also want to remember brother Wayne Coffey if you'll remember uh, This past Sunday, we had a request that he had fallen and uh, had injured himself, and I have here that he does have a fractured rib, so if you would just continue to remember him. I also have here that Sister Rachel Coffey is sick and at home, Uh, and if we could remember Brother Ron Spencer as well, just continue to remember him. I also have, um, if you would, just remember Ashley and Mom. They are not feeling well. They're having some issues with allergies, and allergies are very bad right now. Also, if you would just remember Sister Amber, who is at home down in her back, uh, doing some heavy cleaning and housework, and uh, unfortunately injured her back there. So if you would just remember her. And also just remember uh, Brother Brian as well, who is away working. And uh, if I could have Brother Ben come pray over these requests. Evening, and if you would just stand with me. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we just count it a real honor and a privilege, Father, to come uh, midweek, Father, to just bring our burdens cares and to be able to lay them at your feet, Father, and just to be able to come and hear you speak to us and to be able to worship, Father. Lord, we uh, truly are a needy people, and Lord, we ask that all these prayer requests, there's quite a few that are missing tonight, Father, um, several that are missing, Father, Brother Mitchell didn't uh, bring across prayer requests, Father, whatever the needs are, Lord, whether folks are traveling or not feeling well, Father, we just ask that you'll go and be with those, each of those situations, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you'll be with our brother Mitchell as he continues to lead us in worship. And Father, as the word comes forth, may we do our part to pull. We ask in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may have your seats, and let's just sing that song that you're playing. 
Amen. Let's sing that song, Cover Me, as Brother Barry comes. Peace of God, cover me.
Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and sit at your feet, Lord. We think of the image of Ruth sitting at the feet of Boaz, and she just said, cover me, Lord. And he did, and Father, it was a sign of his acceptance of her. Now tonight, Lord, we pray that all of us would be covered up, and you would be the important one among us. Lord, speak to us, forgive us of anything we have done or said or lived that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would just minister to our hearts tonight as we study your word, and we'll give you thanks for all of it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. While you're standing, let's take your Bible tonight. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 17, and uh, we'll take a little reading tonight. Contrary to the comments of some, we're going to continue on with this series here tonight, at least for tonight, Shalom in the Home, number nine, it's all good in the hood. Uh, We want to discuss a little bit about defiance and rebellion tonight. Sounds pleasant, I know. But let's just see where the Holy Spirit leads us tonight. Now, all I want to do, I want to make this as simple as I can, but I want to show you a trend. I think I can show you a trend tonight that will be self-evident. Proverbs 17, 11, An evil man seeketh only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. I want to say I appreciate all of you being here tonight. I know it is Wednesday night, and I'm glad that you're here. I know some of you have made a sacrifice and a long drive to be here and been up early since the morning. Sister Lopez, good to have you here tonight. All of you that are here, not sure why everybody's so congregated over on this side and toward the front. Maybe it's because Mitchell was singing. I don't know, but either way, God bless you all, and certainly good to have you here. I am excited about this. This is the uh, actual copy of the sermons uh, that we're printing for Malawi, and this is in the Chichewa language. Uh, This is three sermons in one booklet, and that's what we're able to do to make this as as, uh, cost-efficient as it is. It's 8.6 cents per sermon, and uh, this is exceptional quality. Uh, There are half a million of them that are on the way, uh, from China into Malawi, and uh, the revival has already begun in the country even before the books have gotten there. And uh, they're just absolutely flat-out excited about these. And uh, there's another uh, 12 that we're preparing to come right behind them, and we have some books uh, that we're printing, larger books. Uh, this, the uh, Revelation series and the uh, Church Age book uh, are coming right on their heels, and the Revelation series has already been print, uh, translated. And so uh, all of this is going on. One of the things that has been neat about uh, the country of Malawi is that we put about $90,000 worth of Bibles in the country. And uh, that has uh, really, um, the news of that has really spread as they're spreading the Bibles through the country. And many other countries now are saying, hey, you know, our country is just as deficit of resources as any other country and so they they just cannot uh, get their hands on on bibles even if they had the money they can't get their hands on them but i have a resource and uh, we're able to get uh, bibles into the hands of several of those countries so uh, there's all all kinds of them now that are moving among the the saints there so we'll show you some of those pictures as they come along there but uh, for the first time and and the very first time many of them are able to get their own uh, Bible, which is really exciting. 
Now, the other thing I wanted to tell you is that registration opens Sunday at midnight for the men's meeting. We've got a lot of, a lot of interest and a lot of folks that are uh, anxious to get registered. We're, we have a limited number of people. And therefore, you need to jump on this and get yourself registered if you're planning to come. All of our men here should be planning to come. You should be planning to come for two reasons. Number one, because it's really good and it's worth it and it's edifying for you to be there, so you all should be there. If you're under 18, see me after service because uh, 18 is our limit except for special permission, okay? For our brothers here in our assembly, we have a reduced rate or um, what do you say when it's compensated? Subsidized rate. Uh, you're like Western farmers, okay? So our brothers, we have a subsidized rate for you to go. And that will make it even more appealing for you to go uh, to the men's meeting this year. So you have until now, uh, until Sunday midnight, to let Brother Keith know if you're going. Okay? So if you're planning to go, he needs a commitment from you by Sunday or you fall into the general population. Okay? So no one else knows this now. No one on the Internet who's streaming knows this. No one knows this, okay? So this is a, it's not a discount. It's a subsidized rate for brothers here at HBT. If you're under 18, see me after church. I can be bought. So uh, we need you to act on that before Sunday night because after Sunday night, there are no exceptions to the rule. Okay? Everybody clear? Let's take a look in the scripture here tonight. I wanted to share one more little testimony that is Brother Ezekiel. We prayed for him last Wednesday night. He had the virus. He was very, very sick. They were concerned whether he would live or not. He's now actually at home doing much better. So we're very thankful for that, Brother Elias told me. Now, last Wednesday night, we talked about this subject. And I I apologize. I I guess I should. Apology is not the right word. We've been extending this thought out a little bit, and I hope it's a help to you. Your feedback is important here because, uh, you know, I, I, I know I'm covering some practical things here. They don't always apply to everybody, but I trust that they're uh, help and, you know, uh, a resource for you. And I'm going to switch. I'm trying to switch, but I, I just was drawn back to this uh, thought here this week, and I wanted to... Uh, see if we can conclude this uh, properly here tonight. But last Sunday, or last Wednesday, we talked about this particular scripture, which I think is a really important one because your communication in your house, your communication with people at work, your communication with anyone you communicate with is important. You communicate a lot with your words, but you also communicate with your actions and your facial uh, constitution and all of that. Uh, you, you, you can uh, say words one way and just, you know, inflect a little different and come up with a different meaning. For instance, Paul writes in the book of Thessalonians, he said, I would not have you ignorant brethren. You could also say, I would not have you ignorant brethren. And you'd be saying the same thing, sorry, but there is a, there's a way to say everything. And the idea is, is that uh, you want to speak and declare yourself in a way that edifies uh, each other because you don't want to 
instill or stir up wrath. You want to be slow, which means dull, uh, you know, deficient uh, in in wrath. You, You don't want to be quick to wrath. You don't want to be quick to cut somebody's head off with your words. You don't want to be quick to stir somebody up by a, by a, a response that's going to uh, cause a violent emotion, especially here, uh, especially temper. Uh, you can easily, you know how you can agitate somebody with what you say. And we, if you live in a home with more than one person, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Right? We all, we all know what this means. But this is scripture now. All right? This is not Brother Barry's advice. This is not, uh, focus on the family here. This is scripture. And because it's scripture, it's important for us to pay attention because we're all trying to achieve this. We're trying to achieve, uh, uh shalom in the home. We're trying to achieve peace. We're trying to keep the Holy Spirit, uh, involved, happy, and present. And so, therefore, it's important for us to learn to practice these things as best we can because this is what we're trying to achieve is a house in order under God so that we can call our home a household for God, right? Now, you're constantly juggling. It's not, a, uh, it's not like you hand your children a job description and tell them to always stay in line. You're constantly juggling here, and uh, your wife may disagree with you. And, you know, there can, be, there can be all kinds of upsets in a house that disrupt the order of how things should be. So we're constantly, especially as fathers, we're constantly trying to mend and correct and discipline and try to bring things back in the right way, in the right order, biblically speaking. Okay? So it doesn't matter whether you have adult children uh, and, uh, you know, you feel like you have a right to, uh, you know, get up in your father's grill and just, you know, put him in his place. I just, uh, I mean, you can do that. I just don't find any Bible for it. So it doesn't matter to me whether I have adult children. I, I'm not going to have my boys get up in my grill or my wife's grill and... Uh, and, and, you know, say things that are inappropriate in a way that's inappropriate because I, I just don't find any Bible for it. So if we're going, there's, there's a constant adjustment because we don't always agree, right? At your work, you don't always agree. And in your, uh, you know, in your relations with each other, we don't always agree. There, there's, the conflicts arise. It, it is a fact of life. So God knew that, and he knew that there would have to be then boundaries put in place, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Stay with me. i got a couple of quotes here I want to give you just to frame the, the conversation or put it in context here for you tonight. Now, we know this, that as every generation successfully gets away from the lifespan of a prophet, things get watered down or diluted a little bit because the culture, especially in our age, becomes so strong and overwhelming The words of a prophet sometimes are laid aside, almost antiquated. Do you want me to say that again? I I will say it again. We know that the farther we get away from the lifespan of a prophet, which is 1965, there is a danger that the words and the absoluteness of the message becomes diluted because of the intense pressure of the age we live in. Our age especially, we're not talking about ordinary ages, but our age especially is characterized as Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't care about Scripture. They didn't care about Abraham. They didn't care about Lot. They didn't care about anything except their own hedonistic view of life. That means their own quest for pleasure uh, themselves. They didn't care about what was morally right or, you know, scriptural. That That had no bearing on anything at all. 
It was completely and utterly disregarded. Now, Brother Branham makes this statement here, and he talks in the initial paragraph, and you can go read these, by the way. You know this, that all of these, uh, not all of these quotes, but uh, there are many quotes where I've taken the important part of it and put it on here. If you go back and look at the original quote, there might be more in the paragraph. It's not all here because I have a time frame, right? We don't want to wear PowerPoint out. Are we okay? You understand that, okay? I'm not trying to take away any of the meaning or change the meaning. I'm just saying that I'm trying to abbreviate this so we don't have uh, lengthy, lengthy uh, screens here. Brother Bram's talking about plants, and he said when you have hybrid plants, you got to water them and baby them and burp them, and you got to tend them extraordinarily, not like natural plants. Natural plants, he said, excuse me, he said, have a toughness about them. They'll endure in difficult times. They don't always need to be babied like uh, hybrid plants. Then he says, what brought sickness into the world was sin. And when man dropped away from God's provided way, he opened himself to every devil there was. He says sickness, but not just sickness. He says sickness and so forth. So that means there would be demons of lust and demons of perversion, and demons of uh, greed, and demons of pride, and religious demons, and all the, other, uh, all the other demons that are set loose here. When men dropped away from God's provided way, the moment you get away from God's way of doing things, you open yourself up to, you're susceptible to, the influence of the dark world. Are we okay? I mean, that's what he's saying to us here. Because... He has to keep medicine. In order, to, in order now for mankind to survive on the earth, uh, we have to keep medicine, got to keep them sprayed, got to keep the bugs off, all the rest of it. And it's just each generation inbreeding into another. And you might be a Christian, and your wife might be a Christian, but the genes of your body is still the inheritance from your father and your grandfather on down, naturally speaking. And as Daniel said, each generation will get weaker and wiser, and it's got the whole race, the whole human race dying. So the farther we go, the weaker we become. And that's true in the natural. I want to say tonight, I think it's equally true in the spiritual realm. That the farther we go now, the weaker we become in relation to, in relation to uh, the life of, lifespan of a prophet and the authority of the message. Because I will tell you that now the authority of the message is being questioned in lots of different ways, except by the bride of Christ. And you're going to find out who's bride before this is all over because they're not sitting there trying to find a way around what Brother Branham said. They're not trying to find a loophole in relation to what Brother Branham said. They just want to know what God said. They want to have the grace of God and the strength of God to walk in it and live it and believe it. God help us. Here we stand. But that's going to make you odd. That's going to make you contrary to the way the world is going because they're going to be weaker, wiser, and let's add another W, and worldlier. As we go along, we should not have to have a youth event here or anywhere. We should not have to have a youth event where we have to look another way because the girls' skirts are so short when they sit down. We should not have to struggle when we come to a youth event here in our assembly. Because you know what? Our youth should be, should be uh, sensitive enough to the standards that God has laid down that, uh, hey, that's the word. That's what we agree. And I will tell you something. A lot of times girls, they don't know and they don't think, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters a great deal. 
And it matters also that guys conduct themselves in, in an appropriate way, dress in an appropriate way. It does matter. And that's just the way it is. For the bride of Christ, we want to know what the standard is. Tell us what the standard is. Give it to us in the scripture. Give it to us in the message of the hour. And hey, we'll amen it. We'll amen it not only vocally, we'll amen it in our lives as well. All right, let's go a little further. Here's the other quote. I say this with respect. Now, Brother Man gives this warning. There's two warnings here. One in uh, 1958 and then one follows after that in 1961. But watch now what he says. I say this with respect, friends and Christians. If God lets this nation dot, dot, dot. He just can't let them get by with this awful wave of sin. He's looking at something that's not occurring in 1958. In 1958, we're still on the crest of the wave because, you know, we've won World War II. And America, let me tell you, Americans, in a sense, almost have this God image of America in their minds because we've come through World War II and now the economy is booming, industry is multiplying. We've never had a more prosperous than we did in 1958. And it's almost like, hey, we really don't need God. We've got the good old USA. Now, you may think, well, that's a funny thing to say, but it's absolutely true. It was the beginning of a mindset in America. Uh, and I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that a lot of people had great confidence in the country and the government itself. <clears throat> but here's a prophet now looking at it. Now, he's not looking necessarily at what's happening in front of him in 1958, but he said, if God would let us go on the way we are without judging them, without judging, then he would just have to raise Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize for destroying them. With such a wave of sin, again, is where he says he uses the same phrase, of the same kind. So he's, we're, we're not look, look folks, we're not looking in 1958 at a manifestation of Sodom and Gomorrah like we are now. Right? So was he right in what he predicted or was he not? He was right. You, it's okay to say he was right. Watch what he says again, 1961. Ahab was on the throne, but Jezebel was the head behind the throne. And she was the one that done the leading. She, in other words, there was a power behind the power. There's a power visible. There's a power actionable behind that power. Are we okay? These are all what we call characters. These are characters in the power play. These are, uh, you know, the people see Ahab as the king. But, you know, we know the backstory. The backstory is that Jezebel's running the show. She's having people murdered, murdered in cold blood to fulfill her wishes through Ahab. Good to have the Pritchards back. Good to have the Sylvesters back. It's good to have everyone back. Watch what he says now. She took the very laws of the land, twisted them around for her own gain, and made Ahab do it because she was married to him. She actually made Ahab do it. And he said, that's the way with our leader today. And now see why my voice is going to be stopped pretty soon. In other words, the freedom to preach this may not continue. And he refers to Revelation 2.20. She called herself a prophetess and did reign and so forth. You just watch the wave of sin happen now. He says it again. This is not, this is not a description, folks. This is a prophecy. This is something he's telling us is going to happen. You're living in it. You watch it go plumb to the core. Watch ungodly things happen in the churches. And finally, there'll come a persecution. The Bible says, so thus saith the Lord, certainly there will be. 
So this is what you call a prediction that, uh, that comes to pass. All right, now, so having said that, where he describes the wave of sin, let me take you to the wave of sin and describe it for you just briefly. I've got a couple of screens here I want you to look at. These are uh, statistical, more or less, but I'm, I w- all I want to do is draw, uh, uh, show you a trend today of what Brother Brandon was actually looking at. Is that okay? All right, so watch now what he says. This is, this is the Pew Research Group who did what's called a religious landscape study. And this was a huge study that they did of all kinds of churches and church people in the U.S. And uh, they were comparing uh, answers with them and then with other nations as well. But this was interesting that the conclusion is that now Protestants no longer make up the majority of U.S. adults. And this is quite an extraordinary thing because close, I'll read it, closely tied to the rise of religious nuns. Everybody know what nuns are? In my day, it used to be spelled N-U-N. Right? Now it's an N-O-N-E. A nun is I'll have none of it. I'll have none of God, none of the Bible, none of religion, none of church, none of nothing like that. No moral rules, none of it. And they describe themselves as nuns. Okay, don't get it confused with the N-U-N. Because uh, if you do, they'll, get, they'll hit you upside the head. Closely tied to the rise of religious nuns is the decline of Christians, including Protestants. So there's a correlation there. The U.S. has a long history as a majority Protestant, as a, as a majority Protestant nation. And recently, 2007, the Pew Research study... Uh, found more than half of U.S. Uh, uh, adults, 51.3, identified as Protestants. But that figure has fallen, and our, st- our study found that 46.5 Americans are now Protestants. That's 2014. Okay? So what you're looking at is a decline. On the scale of things, if you talk to a statistician, this decline is significant over that period of time, and it's gone even exponentially more than that now. Uh, I don't have the exact figure here, so that's why I didn't put it in here tonight. But here's the trend. The trend is that there are less Protestants and more nuns. As the, as the amount of Protestants decline, the nuns rise. Okay, who cares? I mean, if a, if a nun is somebody who doesn't care, doesn't want religion, doesn't want uh, God, doesn't want Bible, doesn't want moral rules, doesn't want any of that, who cares? Well, I'll tell you why this is an issue. In the South, those not affiliated with religion, and I'm reading, I didn't write this, I'm copying this and giving it to you, call them nuns in the South. That's us. We're not, uh, Brother Burley calls us living in the North of the South. He feels like he's South. We're the North of the South. Hey, look, when it hits 100 degrees, it's South, all right? I don't care where you are. You could be in, Antarctica, in, in Alaska, but in the South, those not affiliated with religion or nuns rose to 19% of the population, while in the Northwest, they climbed to the 25% mark. Hold on now. We're talking about the Bible Belt. We're not talking about the old, white, gray-headed folks or the women with the blue hair who drive big cars and only drive to church on Sunday. We are talking about a new generation who are coming up, right? You understand what I just said? We're talking about a new generation who are coming up. Sister Whitlock would get out of the picture. It would be this and Sister uh, Irish. 
That's what I'm talking about, a new generation of younger people who are rising up, young, raising, raising kids in this, in this age range right here, coming up. You understand what I'm saying? This is not the older generation now. This is the, a new generation that's coming up. That 25% uh, in the Northeast and 19% in the Bible Belt, this is, sister, you can stay, Sister Carrie, it's all right. Sister Jen, you can stay. This, this group now is, is obviously, this, this trend is, is from the younger groups that are there. If you look, there are very few nuns over 40 years old. Very, very few nuns over 40 years old. They probably wouldn't even know what a nun is. They'd be called atheists. They'd probably prefer that name. There's none of us who are over 40 know what a nun is. In the West... In the West, nuns are a larger group than any religion. In the West, nuns are a larger group than any religion. Bigger than any church group on the West Coast, making up 28% of the public. So there's more nuns than Catholics, there's more nuns than Protestants, there's more nuns than even Baptists, there's more nuns than any other church group over on the West Coast. Watch what this paragraph says. Non-religious Americans, which are nuns, have become increasingly organized since 2007, forming political groups designed to... Aha, here we go. This is what you call a wave of sin. Where they're not just wanting to distance themselves from religion, and, and I don't want a Bible, and I don't want to have a pastor tell me what to do. You know what they're doing? They're organizing very effectively with lots of money to keep religion out of public life. So their idea is to extract your Bible right out of your hand and to make sure that you don't reference that Bible in any sort of a public forum whatsoever. That would include school, hospital, putting it in a hotel drawer, uh, you know, a hotel dresser drawer, anything at all. They're, they're not just trying to be aloof. They're not just trying to be distant from this. They're actually organizing to keep religion out of public life. The Pew findings lend credence to the growth. This is their comment, okay? This is the nuns organized. The Pew findings lend credence to the growth we've witnessed within our community and that we have the potential to hold a lot of political clout. Okay, all right, give them five years. These are statistics from 2014, 2007, uh, 2017, I think is the latest one. Give them five years and tell me where we're going to be. Tell me what your child's school is going to look like in five years. Tell me whether you're going to be allowed to homeschool in five years. Tell me whether you're going to be allowed to have a faith-based health care system in five years, like Samaritan Ministries or whatever else. Tell me whether you're going to be able to have a Christian daycare. Tell me whether you're going to be able to have Christian churches with the freedoms that we have in another five years or another ten years or whatever else. You can see where this is going? You see what Brother Branham meant when he said that. He didn't describe the wave of sin. He said, but it's coming. And you watch what happens then. So by state, no matter which way you look at it, I mean, some of these, uh, some of these statistical differences are quite pronounced here. But the trend is that there are less Christians now who are going to stand up against this wave of sin that's striking our nation. Can I go a little further? CNN comes out Monday. They've studied some, they hired some psychologists to study 68 studies that were done in several different, about 10 different nations in the world. And they came out with this conclusion which made their headlines 
and said that spanking can worsen a child's behavior and do real harm. Now, this is her opinion. This is a psychologist's opinion. And she describes this here and says that uh, some studies in the review found physical punishment increased conduct problems. So the idea is completely contrary to Scripture. It is the opposite of Scripture. You spare the rod, you spoil the child. They're saying you're going to damage the child, so spare the rod. So they enforce this idea of positive parenting. Don't worry about their negative behavior. You've got to figure out how to be a parent by trying to reward all of their positive behavior. And then uh, in the meantime, everything will work out. And you do that by calling them out on their behavior and its consequences and help them figure out how to resolve these consequences. It's hard because it requires at least a first a level of mindfulness and thought on what you're doing as a parent. Parent isn't, isn't easy. Parenting isn't easy, and the good thing is that our children excuse us for the mistakes we make. Now, there's a subtle trend here, that a subtle uh, shift in thinking here, and that is this, is that the onus or the burden to know what's right and wrong is shifted from the parent to the child. So they want the, ch- the idea is the child to figure out what's right and wrong, and for the child to know what's right and what's not right. Now, hang on to that idea, because scripture, scripture is clear about marriage. It is the first and most important institution that God uh, enacted in the very beginning in Scripture. He created a marriage between a man and a woman. For years and years, a sacred uh, definition of marriage would be, or a typical definition of marriage would be, the earlier ideal of marriage is a, as a permanent covenant union based for the sake of mutual love and procreation and protection. So it's not about... Um, it's not about uh, financial gain or anything else or personal pleasure. That's uh, it's it's not it does for for years the the idea of marriage is that uh, you know a man and a woman would go and establish a home and procreate and have children and uh, you know they they'd have enough uh, family to work and and to carry that on through the ages and so forth. It was a very typical understanding of marriage. The now definition of marriage is different. It is defined as, and I'm not talking about you here, but it is defined as a terminal contract, which means a contract can be terminated, designed for the gratification of the individual parties. I'm going to enter into this with the condition that I like to do it. And if I don't like to do it, I can terminate it at any time. If I don't feel like I am gratified, it's not pleasurable to me, or profitable to me. Now, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about believers. I'm talking about uh, the definition in, in our society today. And this was taken from people who dictate what the definition really is going to be like now. And you say, well, Brother Barry, all right, if it's not us, then what are you, what are you worried about? Here's what I'm worried about, is that if you're going to have shalom in your home, you're going to have to teach your children that they're going to be immersed in a culture that believes the now versus the back then. And you young people need to realize that when you get there and you take your biblical values that Brother Barry has taught in the Shalom in the Home series and bring them into, the, into your culture, into your culture, your environment in that day, and try to raise your kids in a godly way, okay? Noah, how old are you? 16. So let's say Noah wants to get married. Let's say another 14 years, right? Because... His dad is sitting right behind him there. So let's say he's 30 years old and he has, 
uh, kids and five years old. So we got 14 years plus five years, six years. So you know, we, we're talking 20 years up the road here, if Brother David's okay with that. And we have, I know your mother's now, but if Brother David's okay with that, then, you know, you're going to bring your kids into the public forum and say we're going to either homeschool them or we're going to put them into some sort of a school. How different, how much of a struggle Noah's going to have more than, say, Sister Laura has with her kids who are graduating and finishing school and leaving school? You understand, I'm... I'm doing what Brother Brandon did. You know, you're projecting out here and say, if the wave of sin has gotten us to where we are now, what's it going to be like in 20 years when some of you kids get married and send your kids to school? Do you think they're going to say, oh, hey, no problem. You can wear a skirt and play volleyball. No problem at all. Are you kidding? So let's just look at, and this is just me thinking, okay, based on the old definition Marriage provided things for individuals. It provided love and offspring. It provided support and companionship and security for a couple. The marriage did that. It, it enabled income to be brought in. And, you know, whether it was work on the farm or whether it was income that was brought in, we have children and we'd work together and build our farm or build our job, build our home, build our family. And, and that's what marriage provided. And a, and a husband and a wife, a spouse, could help provide that for a husband when he invited her to marry him. And, and that's, what, that's what, in a sense, they gave each other. That's what human beings or, or couples in a marriage could give each other, love and offspring and security and so forth. That's what they could do. But years ago, and for years and years and years, people knew by common sense to look to God for a meaning in life and purpose. What am I on the earth for? Or hope for the future? Or moral boundaries, moral direction? I mean, you didn't ask your wife or your children what your moral boundaries should be. We, look, we went to church, right? Right? Don't, don't drift from me now. I'm not going to be long here. We, we went to church to find out what we were on earth here for. We went to church to know where the moral boundary markers were. We went to church and read our Bibles to find out that we actually were more than just the sons of Frank and Betty Coffee, but we were the sons of the living God. That's our identity, right? The discovery of our identity is an enormous thing. So let's say the nuns have it. Let's say the nuns put God completely out of the picture. You know what? Marriage now has to provide everything. Because there's no God in the picture. There's no Bible in the picture. There's no church in the picture. And there's absolutely no pastor in the picture either. I didn't mean Pritchard. I meant picture. So now marriage then has, in a sense, marriage needs to provide all of this because there's no one else like God to provide it. And I'm here to tell you tonight there's no human being can live up to that standard. Guess what happens? You have an increase in divorce. Am I making sense? If, if a spouse provides this, and God provides this, and you take God out, but people still want to live life and have meaning and all the rest of it, well, it's got to come from somewhere. 
And if we're looking to this person to make me happy, you had to make me intimately happy. You had to make me financially happy. You had to make me, uh, you know, happy in terms of security. You had to give me all the companionship in the world. You had to provide everything. You had to be, in other words, you had to be the Savior. You had to be my Redeemer. You had to be everything to me. There's no human being can live up to that. So as a result, there are lots of people in modern marriages today that are empty because it's a consequence of leaving God out of the picture. I hope I'm making a little bit of sense here. But to me, that makes that to me that helps me understand. Look, girls and Sister Irish and Sister Whitlock and boys find a guy who's got a relationship with God. So he, so, so you can provide the things on the left for each other, but let God provide the things on the right for you. Because I will tell you what, your husband or your wife is not going to provide those things on the right. That's God's job. How frustrating it becomes then when a husband's got to be everything that he cannot be to his wife. And his wife says, well, hey, I'm out. I'm going to find a guy who seems like more of a superman than you are. And they're chasing an illusion that doesn't exist. And you know what? They have nobody to turn to. They have nobody to ask questions to. They have nobody to consult with. They have nobody to get any wisdom from, right? Are you sure, Brother Barry? I am sure. And here's the, here's the tables that tell it. All right, we won't really, you don't need to read all of this. It's not required for the test. But the thing I wanted to draw your attention to is that the, the, the survey is teens most often rely on their Bible and the church or the pastor for moral guidance. No. Teens most often rely on family and common sense. Teens. How old are you, Noah? How old are you, uh, Emmanuel? So, all right. I need. I got a. I got a moral question. I got a moral dilemma. I'm going to go to these guys. <laughs> I didn't mean that the way it came out. But if you're a nun, you grew up in a nun home. Who are you getting your advice from? The numbers are overwhelming. Parents and family members, 61%. Practical experience and common sense. Uh, all right, I got a question about abortion. Okay? In your experience, can you help me understand the problem with abortion? In your experience. All three of these guys are looking at me here saying, move on, Pastor. Move on. I, I'm not making any of this up. That's a sad thing. The wave of sin, Brother Branham describes, it says that now teenagers are going to eventually look to each other and family and common sense for moral guidance. You're, let's say you're a guy in the world. You're going to look to your friends to figure out if a movie is acceptable to watch? If a, if a game on your phone is acceptable and everyone in the class is using it and you're going to ask questions, hey, guys, is this okay? Give me a break. I mean, this is nuts. 
coupled with this other survey that the question asked is, is religion important to you? Is religion significant, important? And the, the statistics are saying that, you know, for U.S. teens, uh, 13 to 17 years old, people who would consider religion very important to them is at 24%. What I don't show you here is where this was years ago. Years ago, the numbers were much, much higher. It's all declining. It is, because the prophet said it would. All right, are you, can I show you a little scripture? David said, Come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Solomon says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 4, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Doesn't say get a wife, doesn't say get money, doesn't say get a degree, doesn't say get a job, doesn't say get a car. It says get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 4, 7, and and the words of my mouth is the words of the teacher. Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. How many believe that? Say amen. amen. Wisdom is the principal thing. Church numbers is not the principal thing. A great youth group is not the principal thing. Hey, listen, money is not the principal thing. Everybody say amen if you believe that. Amen. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Proverbs 16, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold? How do you think that will go over today? Wisdom is better than gold, and to get understanding, rather to be chosen than silver. You can see how the biblical thinking cuts against the modern thinking. Okay, all I'm showing you is a trend. And if you don't believe where the trend is going, sorry for the small print, I couldn't blow this up adequately here. This is the American, uh, all the age ranges, that's what's scary about this. All the age ranges view of the moral acceptability of these issues. So is this morally acceptable or not? Okay, that's the question that's asked. So let's look at the first few. Birth control, divorce, sex between an unmarried man and woman, gay or lesbian relationships, gambling, having a baby outside of marriage, and medical research using stem cells obtained from human embryos. Let's start with that. And every one of them are at least 67% acceptable, or 67% of the population believe that's absolutely acceptable. We're not talking about teens here now. We're not talking about nuns. We're talking about Americans' views. Are you following me? That's the first five or six. When you're talking 67 70% uh, divorce here, 80% of the population feel like, hey, it's okay. And that's the thinking today. If, hey, if it ain't, if it ain't working... Move out. Get yourself a life. Go somewhere else. Find another person. Call it an experience. Chalk it up, you know, for what you want. But, hey, gay and lesbian relations, the view in America is that 70%, basically 70% feel that's absolutely okay. It's permissible, protected by law, and you better not say anything. Now, I'm saying, what I'm saying is that if you, and this is, this is 2021, uh, give this five years. Tell me where we're going to be. Give this five years. Tell me whether I should preach this kind of a subject tonight or not in church. Because I don't think in five years I'm going to be able to, quite honestly. 
Now, I've said all of that to say this, and give me 10 minutes here now, okay? 10 minutes, and I'll promise you I'll quit. I said all of this is a preamble to show you the trend. You knew this. I just wanted to put it on graphs for you here. I mean, all of these are significant. The rest of that column there <clears throat> deals with the death penalty, um, doctor-assisted suicide, abortion, changing one gen- one's gender, sex between teenagers, and so forth. Those, these, these things are all essentially above the 50% mark of Americans feel like it's acceptable. So in other words, parents, wake up. Your kids are out in a world where most of the people out there believe that all this stuff is acceptable that I just mentioned. So parents, wake up. And I'm not saying this necessarily to you because I know you're astute and you're, you're, uh, you're focused and you're, you've, you've heard me say this enough and I, I trust that some way or another you're... you're do I, I, let me say this properly. I believe that you're doing all you can to help your kids, and I, I commend you for that because you're a minority. And I'd say this for you kids that are not married. You need to learn the language of what I'm talking about, hear the words, because you're going to have to deal, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with it against a culture, whether it's political, administrative, educational, Whatever else, you're going to be dealing with a climate that is contrary to Scripture. And if you're going to stand for the Scripture, what I'm telling you, there's an increasingly difficult fight on our hands every day we live in this country. So, I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, parents, if all of this is true, and the trend is we move away from the Word of God and move away from the Bible, move away from moral standards, then you better be prepared for more of this. And that is rebellion. I'm not necessarily saying you here at HBT. I'm just saying that as a trend, we're going to see more kids who are being taught to rebel against what the majority of people absolutely do not believe. No, let me say that right. I think I said that incorrect. Did I say that incorrect? Or was anyone listening? I'm only joking. Let me say this. Rebellion is defined as a refusal to accept some authority or code or convention. This is the way it is. And a rebel refuses to accept that and is doing things another way. Our our minds go back to the 60s, right? The early 60s when we had the sit-ins and those students took over the administrative offices of universities and marched and painted their Volkswagen vans with peace signs and had bell-bottoms and all the rest of it. They were outwardly rejecting authority or established conventions. I'd like to simply say this. I believe that the message, I believe that the Bible is a, an established convention. I believe it's God's declaration of where our moral boundaries are. Okay? Rebellion is anything that refuses to accept that. It's an outward rejection of the standard that God has raised. Defiance is closely linked. But defiance means that there's an intentional, contemptuous behavior. There's a spirit that's there that acts with an attitude and is ready to resist. It's ready to defy. I don't care what God says. I'm, I'm ready to defy. I'm, I'm ready to put this in action here. The third thing is a little strange. 
The third thing that we need to be, you, you, we as parents need to be aware of, is when the aspirations of parents replace the aspirations of a child, or a child has some legitimate reason for not keeping up with everybody else. And they might have a situation where things are undiagnosed and they become increasingly frustrated with what they have to do. Hmm. You weren't expecting that. I will tell you this, and I, I know we have some specialists who are among us here in, in, in the fields of education and, and so forth, administration and schools, and, uh, and I, so I don't want to get too far out on this limb. But I heard of a, a girl who was in an insane institution, and she was being kept there because her parents pressured her for most of her childhood to be a concert violinist, a master violinist. And she tried. She did the thing that a master violinist would have to do, practice day and night, forget her friends, had no social relations, gave up her life in a sense, gave up her childhood to be a master violinist. Never made the grade. She was never accepted, never excelled. But she continued to try because she figured that's exactly what her parents expected of her and wanted her to be. It drove her crazy. It drove her crazy to the point where she could not even handle her own life with medication. She had to be institutionalized. This is a true story. The doctor told the parents, he said, if I could just take the parents out of the center of her life and put God in the center of her life, she'd walk out of here a well person. That's what the doctor, that's what the psychologist said. If I could take the parents out of here, the center of her life, and put God in here, she'd be a perfectly fine girl, wouldn't need another lick of medication, she could walk out of here. Sometimes parents will put pressures on children, and sometimes children may not be able to cope with the things that they're required to do, and there needs to be adjustments made. And if there's not, then you're setting that child up for failure because they experience nothing but continuous frustration. Huh. Well, remember now what we're trying to do. We're trying to have shalom in the home, right? So sometimes you've got to kind of look, not at the symptoms, but you've got to look at the cause, because good doctors do that. They look at the cause of why. Why are these children doing what they're doing? Are they rebellion? Are they defiant? Are they just not able to keep up? And to me, that's a good discussion to have. All right, let's look a little bit here, just scripturally so you know. Jeremiah chapter 28. <clears throat> this is the story of Jeremiah telling the children of Israel, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Remember that? But before he said that, there was another preacher showed up at church and said, hey, folks, I got a revelation from God. You're only going to be there three years. Well, now, if you were going to go to jail for, for a time period, duh, which would you pick, three or 70, right? So most of the people are leaning the three side. This guy's becoming very popular, got all kinds of likes. Here's God's response to that. You can read it in Jeremiah 28. We've read it before. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Lord, behold, I will cast thee off from the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die. And he did. He died within a year. Because thou hast taught 
rebellion against the Lord. That's God's reaction to this. He says, you, one thing you don't do is teach rebellion. You don't teach somebody that we are going to look at the established, uh, you know, authority, where you look at the established uh, convention, we're looking, we're going to look at God's word, and we're going to outwardly reject that. God doesn't want you to teach that. He died within a year. Jeremiah chapter 29. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehemite and his seed, and he shall not have a man to dwell among the people. Neither shall he behold the good that I will do for my people, saith the Lord, because he has taught rebellion. You'll find this consistently whenever God discovers this, that there's rebellion being sown among the people. doesn't even matter if it's that generation. It could be subsequent generations. God judges that very quickly. He describes this, and this is uh, Samuel uh, talking to uh, Saul about the king Agag, who's still alive, and the sheep and the lowing of the oxen, right? Everybody remember the story? Say something. Behold, he said, it's better to obey than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You're going to have a tough time having shalom in the home when you've got that kind of a spirit in your household, right? You've got kids that will get up in your grill and say all kinds of things to you. I'll tell you what. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I just lost my temper. Well, uh, we better talk about that because the wrong thing can creep in. At times, maybe you're not expecting that at all. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. So you understand, God is, the way God is dealing with this is because of the problem, not the symptom. Right? In your heart, you've rejected the word of the Lord. In other words, what God said didn't matter. And you know what? I see that happening in your heart, and that's what I'm poking at. That's, where the ju- that's what the judgment is for, is what's going on in your heart. Not necessarily what you're out here trying to convey to everybody else. That's wrong. But what I know where this is coming from. And this is what God is actually saying uh, to, to King Saul there. That, that you have rejected the word of the Lord, and he's also rejected you. So, I mean, you're filled with jealousy. You're filled with rage. You're filled with anger here. And there's, there's rebellion and, yeah, you know what? God said, destroy uh, all, all of the people uh, and King Agag and all the animals. Destroy it all, and it'll be done. And Saul says, well, you know, God didn't really mean that. I mean, it'd be all right if we did this. So Brother Ram talked about skirts, right, on girls. And he said, he talked about, you know, they had a slit. And why would you have a slit? Well, we'd have a slit because it's so narrow. You can't make a good step, so you've got to have a split. And he says, just show the underneath skirt. And he said, what person in the right mind would want to do that? So today, we have it today. And everybody thinks they can walk into a message church and sit down, right? And sit down with a for services an hour and ten minutes and for an hour and ten minutes struggle to pull their skirt down over their knee. And God says, the skirt's bad enough, but that's not the big problem. The big problem is what's in your heart. Because you think what Brother Bram said today, back, or sorry, what Brother Bram said back in the 60s doesn't matter today. And I got a word for you. I got a word for you. And it goes like this. If God was going to change the standard at all, you know what he'd do? He'd send another prophet. So since he hasn't sent another prophet, we'll keep the prophet we got. Don't laugh, because this isn't funny to God. 
Well, let's look at another situation here in Deuteronomy chapter 21. And if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or his mother, and that they, when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out into the, to the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city that our son is stubborn and rebellious and he will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones so that he die. Now, I mean, I, I'm just telling you what the tapes say here. I'm just, because God considers this evil. If you read the next line, this is what God can. I'm not, I, I, I want you to understand this is not my rule, but this is, this is and, and this is actually God's mercy shown to parents, believe it or not, because let me, let me explain it this way. That sometimes kids feel, well, like I can rebel against, uh, you know, my parents. I can rebel against the message. And I can rebel against the standards that are, that are right. But <clears throat> God has another, uh, another entity beyond your mom and dad and beyond HBT and beyond your pastor that he can run you up against. And if you find a way around that, God's got another one that you'll run up against. Because God knows how to deal with this. And, and in a sense, he's taken this out of the hands of parents. And he's saying that your, your child needs to understand that the words matter. The things that God has established matter. And if they matter to me, I'm going to make sure your son or daughter learns the lesson. So let them go. Let them go into the hands of others. Let them go. I mean, they're, they're moving on anyway. And he's saying that you know, we're going to take this directly out of the hands of parents and we're going to deal with this as a, as a community now. They might run off and join the army. Let me tell you, they'll run into a, a, a drill sergeant that will not be quite as patient as mom and dad were. God knows where the best drill sergeants are. And that drill sergeant might be in the form of a judge who feels like maybe you need to learn a lesson when you're doing 90 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone and you don't need to obey. I mean, they're only, those, those speed signs are only suggestions, really. And the judge may have a different thought on that. He knows how to stone you with stones. Because you know what? The message here is in the bottom line, so that you put away evil from you. God doesn't want that in the camp. God doesn't want that in your heart. God doesn't want that in heaven. God doesn't want that to continue. He wants to stop it so that all Israel shall hear and fear and learn to respect God's word. Hey, listen, folks, this is an expression of God's love and mercy. It's not God trying to restrict you or take fun out of your life. It's God trying to let you live within the boundaries of his own word so that he can bless you and he can prosper you. And he can make you live a good life the way that he intended in the first place. Now, I'm running out of time, but I, let me leave you with the scripture here and say that defiance is a little bit different because we find that over in the book of Numbers, and you'll know this story, this is when Balaam came along and Balak hired him to curse Israel. Now watch what it says. This is, I'm just going to read you a little bit of scripture here. 
and we'll, we'll, find, we'll stop. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on the side of Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that all Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. So here's, here are decisions that are, being, that are being made based on fear, which is never a good way to make decisions. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field, and drink all our water, and they'll eat all of our grass. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at the time. So here's his response then. The only way I'm going to survive and keep my throne and keep my wealth is I'm going to send messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Baor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide against me forever. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he, I know, he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom thou cursed is cursed. I want you to, I want you to come and defy these people. Because that's what that word means there. I pray you curse me this people. I want you to defy this people. And when he said that, he was saying, I want you to defy them, their God, and any power they have. I want you to put a stop to it. And I'm ready to act on this, and I'm willing to pay you. And if, I don't, and if what I pay you first is not enough, I'm going to pay you more. This guy was pretty determined. He had a defiant spirit. He was going to actually stop the program of God and stop God's people. Now, to you, you may say, how silly. But there are people, listen, do you believe there are people who would like to stop the message of the hour from going forth? That spirit of defiance is still around. It's not gone anywhere. And there are people willing to act on that, to bring any kind of scandal or accusation or anything else, whatever it takes. In other words, this is him saying, whatever it takes to stop these people, I want them stopped because I've got things I want to keep and I want to protect. What are we talking about? We're talking about what Brother Branham saw way back there in the 50s and 60s and said a wave of sin is going to come. The wave of sin is going to snatch the Bible away from the hearts and minds of the people so that now they're left to their own devices. Now they're protecting their own domain. Now they're protecting their own money. Now they're protecting their, they want to protect their positions of power in government. Right? So they want to elect their people out of a pool of people who are considered nuns. Well, there's nobody who's a nun who's going to go into government and all of a sudden become a lay your hand on the Bible and swear to this, son. There'd be none of that. There'd be no respect for Christians in times like that, right? You're looking at a wave of sin and how we're seeing it manifested is probably different than how a lot of people may have thought it would be. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians come. But watch the statement here. Brother Bam said, I heard the sergeants in the army train them boys rugged. They'd hate that sergeant. But when it come to combat, they loved him because of the rugged training. That's the way I've tried to train Christians. So in other words, when you're actually doing the training, you're not real popular. And I can tell, I can, I'm not a prophet, but I can tell there's some people don't even like what I'd said tonight. I can tell that, I'm not, and I'm not a prophet. But he said, that's the way I've tried to train Christians. Don't bob off your hair. Don't wear makeup. Don't do this. And he said, get it rugged, and you'll appreciate me when, when dot, 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 the end of the road. You want to fill that in? 
You'll appreciate me when we get to the end of the road. You'll appreciate me when all this breaks loose. You'll appreciate me when they probably prevent us from gathering together in the church. Get down to the end of the road. Training, getting that training right. Let's get right with the word. It might be rugged. It might cut denominational differences to pieces. But you'll appreciate it when you come down to the end of the road because you stood by the book. You're going to stand by something, right? You're going to stand by... If you're a nun, you're going to stand by an empty box. But if you're a believer, you're going to stand by the Word. And you know what? The Bible says that when you stand for me, I'll stand for you. And I will tell you at the end of the road, the person you want to have standing for you in the fight, in the middle of the stress, is none other than Christ Jesus our Lord. None other. You'll appreciate the train. You'll appreciate Shalom and the home when we get down to the end of the road. And I believe that God's people appreciate His Word, that's for sure. To love you more than I ever have before. You're so easy to adore, Lord, I want to love you more, Lord, I want to know you more than I ever have before, you're so easy to there. Oh, Lord, I want to love you more. Oh, thank you, Jesus, to adore. In his arms, never disconnected. In his arms, well, I feel protected. No place I'd ever rather be. Sing it now. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. 
next verse. In his arms I feel protected. In his arms. Protected in no place I'd ever rather be. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength and with all I am. I will. prayer. Oh, let's sing that chorus again now. Make it your heart's cry tonight. The Lamb. One more time. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. And with all my strength and with all I am, I will see month of May, when there was a meeting, Brother Sean Martin had a meeting up our way, the males came up, and uh, the male family, and uh, they were, uh, they had a little bit of time to kill, so I showed them some of the sites, and we went over and swung through Blacksburg and showed them the, I was going to show them the memorial over in Virginia Tech campus for the shooting that had taken place over there, and I said, you know, it's kind of a nice reference point, because you can see the whole campus just about from there so we went over and when we did we drove in and i realized whoa there's some sort of ceremony going on here the big the big parade field is out in front of that memorial huge big field 
And here it was a graduation for VMI, the Virginia Military Institute. And uh, all the, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cadets that were all marching out on the field from different areas in the campus. And they were coming out from different places and they had their uniforms all on, spit polish, and they were carrying rifles, you know, all marching in formation out there. Well, the boys were pretty fascinated with that, right? They were, they were pretty impressed with all of that. And they all lined up and they marched and they were giving out uh, diplomas and all, they were all graduating all together at the same time in this big... And it was an impressive sight. It was quite a, uh, a large group of cadets that were all graduating. But I looked that group over and I never saw one of them that said... Got to wear this uniform today and take their hat off and throw it on the ground or throw their gun aside. Not one of them did. They were all proud to be standing there that day at the completion of that training. They were all pretty proud of being able to stand shoulder to shoulder with their buddies that they had sweated with and trained with and worked with and you know gone through the obstacle course and learned all those things that they did. Now they're going on to other things there. That was a pretty proud moment for those guys. And they're only going on another step in their life. And here's Brother Branham telling us that he says, you know what, you might not like to drill sergeant when you're going through it, but there comes a day when you're glad you had a guy like him who trained you and didn't take any belly aching and didn't take any excuses and didn't let you get away with nothing because now it really counts. In training, it doesn't necessarily count as much as it does out in the field. That's when it really counts. Hey, folks, let me tell you, God knows exactly what he's doing. God knows exactly where he's moving the bride. God knows exactly what's upcoming here. God knows exactly what every one of us need. And we just want to follow his leading, listen and obey and respond the right way to the things that God's put before us. Let me tell you, there'll come a day when you'll stand out there in that graduation field in the marriage supper and you'll be glad you're there. You'll be looking around and proud that you're identified with this group of people on the other side. It's worth it all. It's worth it all when we come to that place. Let's sing one more little chorus here this evening, and then we're going to close. This is my desire to honor you. Let's sing that this evening here. This is my desire to Give. 
give you my soul and I live for you alone every breath that I take every moment I'm away Lord have your way in me Lord in order for you to have your way in me I've got to surrender something and I pray dear God that in every heart every soul is gathered here tonight Lord to be a willingness among us to submit to comply and be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God Lord may it be may that be found in every heart when you look, Lord, in the hearts of those people back there in the Old Testament that found that spirit of rebellion working, Lord, you didn't, you didn't deal lightly with those things. And Lord, I, I pray that you would look at us through the blood of Christ, that, and Lord, we'd be forgiven of things, Lord, that we may have maybe backed up from or things maybe we have been defiant about. Lord, may there not be a spirit of defiance found in any heart here. We are Christians, and we want to be identified as Christians. And Christians obey. They love your word. Have your way among us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, bless the balance of our week. Heal those that are sick. And Lord, touch the members of our assembly and not here tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Sing it as you go tonight. Lord, I give you my heart, give you my soul, and I live for you alone, every breath that I take. Lord, have